to the Psychedelic Cultures podcast, where we bring together psychedelic explorers from different generations to share wisdom and experiences. Magenta, and today it's my pleasure to interview Jade Natanya Ullman. Jade is a seasoned fundraiser, philanthropist, activist, and community organizer. She is the former executive director of Romamu, a progressive Jewish spiritual community in New York City. Jade is an ambassador for the Social Venture Network, a nonprofit network of business leaders committed to justice and sustainability as well as a member of the Threshold Foundation, which is dedicated to mobilizing financial resources to change the world. She began working with the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, or MAPS, in early 2015 to expand the organization's community visibility, and has since joined the staff as development officer and connector. Jade is enthusiastic about inspiring others to recognize and support the visionary research and healing work of MAPS. She lives in New York City, where she was born and raised. I'm really grateful for Jade Natanya Ullman for being the first guest on the Psychedelic Cultures podcast. Welcome, Jade. So great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And I wanted to start off the whole podcast by asking you, what's your experience like being a greeter at the Zendo at Burning Man? Well, the Zendo project is one of my favorite projects that Max does. And what we do is we go to festivals and we provide the environment for people to work through challenging experiences and get the support that they need. And so I feel that as a greeter, you know, I'm really holding space for a new culture that we're really co-creating, a way for people to use psychedelics in therapeutic and healing ways under the prohibition state that we're in but to be able to train a culture of people who can support people moving through their challenging experiences and making it a healing experience and avoiding hospitalization and arrests that can really happen in in other kinds of environments. Is it ever scary for you to be there or is it mostly just that you're you know, holding a a welcoming and comfortable space so that when someone comes in having a rough time, you're just making sure that they feel at ease and like they're going to have the kind of support they need? Or is it ever like, oh, whoa, how are we going to handle this? Well, I did have an experience. I was um, being a greeter at Envision Festival, which is in Costa Rica. And I did see some people like carrying in somebody who needed support. And I was very impressed because the people who were brought in just went immediately to medical. And so we do see that happen. If it's a situation where it's like an extreme like need to just focus on the medical, then people will go right to medical. But typically, you know, I find that it's like people are finding us and they're like a little bit like trying to find their way through like Burning Man and feeling a little disoriented. And then Zendo is like a place for people to like ground and come home. So I see it as like ushering in people who need support. And so I don't necessarily find it a scary experience. That experience that I shared was scary. Um, And also I've had my own experience of using the Zendo um, many years ago where I'm, you know, I started on a, a journey 
with someone who's more of a, a stranger and I ended up just not being a positive experience where the person wasn't, ha- you know, staying with me through that experience and I lost my bicycle and it wasn't wearing the right clothing. And I just remember looking for at this time we had um, teepees and it just took me a while and I like was able to find the Zendo and um, the person who was there like supported me and finding like a, a place for me to lie down and get warm. And I was able to go deeper into my experience and actually that experience was very transformative for me. Um, I went through a particular trauma when I was 30 years old where I was sexually assaulted. And it was through having the time at the Zendo to process that experience that I realized that I wanted to do restorative justice with the person who offended me. And he was um, arrested. And so I did go through the process. It was in New York City, and they have a program where you can do a victim-offender conversation. Unfortunately, that individual had like a different story about what happened, and so they didn't recommend going through the process. But just being able to have the Zendo to support my experience and going through that was an empowering experience. And I really feel that like that that could have gone either way. You know, I could have just left Burning Man and just been more disconnected from my experience. But instead, it helped me move through the experience and come out with like a, a plan of what I thought was a healing plan for myself. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I know that it's somewhat common for people on psychedelic trips to suddenly remember a traumatic experience that they had just completely blocked from their memory. Um, I'm wondering if that comes up often at the Zendo or if you know that, you know, through your work with MAPS and otherwise being connected in the psychedelic communities, do you have any sense of how often that happens for people and how common it is for people to find the support that they need to move through that? Like if they don't run into Zendo at a festival or if they're just tripping in their apartment or with a small group of friends, maybe giggling in a park and all of a sudden they're like, whoa, what do I do with this? Yeah, I, I mean, we, we definitely hear a lot of anecdotal experiences of people who start remembering things and it just being a challenge for their like say community and friend group to really support them through it. And I think that's really what the beauty is of Zendo is it's, it's community peer based support, but it's providing people the place to then go to the next level of healing. And at some point, you know, our friends can't always be there for us. And especially in like such a chaotic festival environment. And so the purpose of Zendo is to provide a, a way for people to process those experiences. And we do hear a lot about that, uh, you know, and sometimes we hear about experiences that happen, you know, actually at the, in festivals where people are dealing with violations, unfortunately. So there's that's also like the Zendo is like a safe space for people to process their experiences, whether it be past or current experiences. And MAPS has a resource on their website. If I remember right, it's called, what is it called? The for people sitting for people through a psychedelic experience or... If someone's having a, a difficult time, some tips for how to help them through it. We have a whole training program. It's approximately 350 people have been who have attended the Zendo training at Burning Man, which is pretty amazing. We train at that number every year. And we really support people understanding like what does it mean to be, we call it a sitter. And we, we don't consider, we don't use the word guide, but we pr- support people like in our therapy work, we call it non-directive therapy approach. And so it's really about letting the guests 
lead the experience and then following their experience so that we're just supporting them through their challenges and understanding like what is going on for them. Um, we do a, a whole training at, at Burning Man and other festivals. We also have an online training program. We've also been providing you know, this kind of training in a couple different places. Recently, there was one in Seattle and in Portland. There'll be one in New York and in Colorado as well. We've also been in festivals like Africa Burn and Utopia. So we're really putting ourselves out there and providing this kind of experience. And I believe it, it significantly changes culture. You know, we're doing this work on the ground. And MAPS is also very involved in the phase three research, you know, which is being approved by the FDA. But I see this as like doing this the work at this time. You know, only so many people will be able to get into our studies. And the studies is specifically for people who are severe treatment-resistant cases of post-traumatic stress disorder. So that's what I think is so powerful about the Zendo is giving people an opportunity to do the kind of healing integration work at this time. In addition, we have an um, integration list on our website, which is all across all different regions for people who want to do this integration work. In addition, um, at Burning Man, we've also started doing intentions circles so people can do like some processing before going into a Burning Man kind of experience. And then also um, we do integration like near the end of Burning Man so that people can process their experience. So we're really trying to be out there helping people through these through their experiences and making them healing and transformative. Thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, it's amazing work. It's really fantastic. And we have just an amazing team. Um, you know, there are people who are involved in the phase three research. There are a lot of people who have been interested in what's called expanded access work, which is our clinics that will be started after phase three. So the Zendo also provides people opportunity to get the kind of training and being able to bring it back into their communities. We've also supported other other festivals getting the training from Zendo and then starting their own Zendo-like programs. Oh, wow. I didn't know that that happened. Interesting. So a, a little bit less... Um maybe high pressure context of a situation. I'm just curious to zoom out a little bit and hear your perspective on what are the positive influences of psychedelics? I think that really what psychedelics gives people is a lot of permission to experience themselves and the way they're thinking in different ways. And then I think that a lot of the work that we do with the Zendo is providing a peer-based system for support. We actually see people who come into the Zendo who are dealing with psychological challenges and not necessarily always just the psychedelic influence. But I think that psychedelics is such a powerful tool to go deeper and to transform oneself and work on emotional issues and perspective and bonding and uh, reuniting ones with, them, with themselves. So I think it's such a powerful tool. In our, in our research, uh, we see that two-thirds of the people who go through our study for MDMA for post-traumatic stress disorder no longer have the PTSD standard to be able to get into our study. So we've really seen that you know MDMA-assisted psychotherapy has been very effective. Is that because with the assistance of MDMA, you're able to feel your body in such a loving state that when you access the memories you can kind of reprogram your body to accept that experience and not keep blocking it because you're finally in a safe enough feeling space to 
like fully integrate the the experience and the trauma is that kind of a summary of what happens there yeah so what happens is um, a lot of people who have ptsd are are currently in the fight or flight part of the brain and then with mdma that will relax and then they can experience love and safety and bonding and then process their trauma not from the fight or flight side so that's that's what we've noticed and uh, you know the FDA has been very supportive of our work. We got breakthrough therapy designation to do this work. We're projecting that we're going to be making MDMA into a legal medicine by the year 2021, and that will be a prescription medicine for PTSD. But we're very excited about that. Related to the positive influence of psychedelics, I'd love to hear your perspective on the the social dimension of that. Like as this becomes legalized through the FDA in the context in which MAPS is working on. And as, you know, obviously, I I would be surprised if it's not millions of people on the planet working with these substances at this point in different contexts. And as more decriminalization and legalization happens, hopefully over time, I'm curious what kinds of kind of large-scale social potentials that you see as this becomes more accepted, more safe, more more integrated into how cultures uh, approach their relationships with, with consciousness and interpersonally and nature-wise and all of those things that often come with a psychedelic experience. Well, there's been a lot of studies, and Catherine McLean's been doing some work on this, um, Dr. Catherine McLean, um, looking at how psychedelics create some more openness and empathy in our culture. And I believe that that can make a difference in terms of how we're relating to the environment, how we're relating to other people and being a more unified culture. We're also studying cannabis for PTSD as well. And so I think that that's been really powerful to see also how the legal side, how we can change, you know, how is cannabis currently in our society and the criminal justice and social justice issues. So I think that once we see that like once these these medicines are seen as, as therapeutic, then that's also going to change the legal issues as well. So you're a development officer with MAPS, which I don't think many people know what that means, but it's basically you help fundraise and help find people who can make donations to the organization to continue the work that you all are doing. And that's just such a beautiful thing to do with your work. And I'm curious your perspective on why it's important to financially support this work. And part of that, why is access to psychedelic therapy important? Yes. So my title is development officer and connector. And I first got involved in MAPS because my family is a small family foundation and so I've been able to support this work, which is how I first got involved. So I, I continue to support this work. And there's such a need and there's so much that we can do as an organization. We have a very small budget. It's only about $2 million for our, our annual budget. And then the research, which, you know, costs a lot, every little bit helps. And so I feel like, you know, from the grassroots supporters and for the major gifts, all these things are so important because this work can really make such a difference and I really believe in what we're doing. And I've, we've seen the results already from our phase one and phase two research. And we're not getting mainstream money. We did get a $2.1 million grant from Colorado to study cannabis for PTSD. That's specifically with veterans. But we don't get a lot of support from mainstream science, government grants. 
So that's why it's so important for everybody to contribute. And, and everybody's contribution does make a difference. Do you meet really interesting people through doing that? <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I've, I've met some really interesting people. And it's interesting now we're starting to find like bipartisan support as well. So people like for, I've been at Mass for three years now, and typically it's been people who are in the psychedelic community. And now we're starting to see some people who are not your typical archetypes of supporters coming to the table. We just recently got a $1 million grant from Rebecca Mercer, who's been interested in the work of PTSD with veterans. And so that's been really exciting. And we've gotten a lot of support from the cryptocurrency world. Yeah, it's just amazing people. And I think what makes it so special, too, is like people have there are a lot of their own personal experiences that have been powerful using psychedelics. And so I just find it really incredible meeting people and hearing their stories. And yeah, it's amazing people like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited about doing this podcast to I kind of re- re- use it to relationship build. And I, I, I'm hoping that listeners of the podcast as well. I hope I have some way to connect them with each other or I'm kind of thinking through that piece right now. Yeah. What, what inspired you to, to do these podcasts? What's your goal? I pretty much, I mean, the main thing is that I think decriminalizing psychedelic plants and chemicals is pretty much the number one thing that governments could do to reduce crime to improve quality of life, improve the environment, improve education, improve public health, and uh, reduce conflict. Because some of the things that you mentioned around around the empathy and the, the way that they can help us heal really deep trauma, and with some of the plant medicines, just the profound, immediate, direct connection to nature that they facilitate. And I noticed that people are... It's interesting to me how much the different communities or contexts of working with the medicines do or don't intersect with each other. So, for example, the people studying the clinical approaches compared to, you know, talking with indigenous Shipibo people in the Amazon and their worldview and I would almost call it like their understanding of of medicine and the body is just so in some ways radically different or more detailed or like there's a specific kind of bodies of wisdom that they have there. And then you have like people in Silicon Valley, computer programmers working with acid to improve their minds and their understandings of using the computers for creating things. And so I'm, I'm hoping to kind of cross pollinate these different communities and methodologies because I think that there's a lot of potential and kind of untapped depth and profundity that can come if we share with each other like a little bit more about how how we are creating containers what's possible for creating containers you know set and settings and uh sharing some almost like talking shop across different I don't know healing bodies of healing wisdom if that makes sense yeah so that's that's pretty much my interest in it because i don't see another podcast out there that's like looking that cross modality at the the very different buckets of people working on these things if that makes sense 
You know, MAPS is starting to work um, a lot on conflict resolution using psychedelics as a form of healing. So we have a project right wow. now starting up in the Middle East with Israelis and Palestinians. And then also we've been doing some work in Colombia through one of our major donors who's supporting that work generously. So it'd be, it's also really exciting to be able to like bring the work into those direct conflict situations. So I'm excited to see where that goes as well. Is that being documented publicly somewhere or like shared what's coming out of that? Yeah, so it's it, we're still pulling it together. It's not fully public yet. The organizers are very, they want to kind of start off with like really surveying their community and building the community. You know, it's something that we'll be talking about in the future and fundraising for as well. Wow. Whoa. I can't imagine getting to work on that. Whoa. Yeah, we're excited. It's going to be use of psilocybin as well as MDMA for some of those research projects. So it's be very exciting to see where those go. How, in that context in particular, how do the researchers prepare for that? Is it mostly based on their training as psychologists and then with a familiarity with the particular situation of psychedelics? Or are there whole new things that people have to learn to be able to facilitate these kind of spaces? Well, I'm happy to introduce you some of the researchers who are pioneering this work. They have affiliations with Imperial College in the UK. And so it's people who have been studying this kind of work. You mean conflict work or psychedelics or both? Looking at, at them as, as together. Oh, do you know anything about the people who are working on, maybe Beckley Foundation does some of this? who are working on research of psychedelics influence on the brain for enhanced creativity or studying what's going on neurologically or biochemically and these kinds of things. Are there, are there a number of groups that focus on that kind of thing? Unfortunately, there are not that many groups. I mean, the Beckley Foundation is really pioneering that. And there's some amazing graphs. You can see like, what does the brain look like? The on LSD and seeing all the, the connections and you can actually have actually like the MRI scans for that. So that's really powerful. Actually MAPS is doing a web, web, webcast, webinar. <laughs> webinar thank you. Um, that's going to be looking at like LSD. April is the anniversary of the first time that's a documented LSD trip. And so we're going to be featuring the Beckley foundation and Stan Groff to really talk about how LSD is, influence the society and what are the impacts and so that would be interesting for you to know about it and your readers oh yeah i will include a link to that in the show notes too yeah and that reminds me that's another group of people that i want to cross pollinate in this podcast is this, i've i've met several people who are and they must be in their 70s at this point i'm not sure um who went really deep with acid with each other in the 60s and they just keep telling me like to you know record some of their stories because of, of how deep they went i mean partly with the acid being stronger than if i understand correctly and just being done at such a large scale like i can't comprehend at all what it would have been like to go through that period of time yeah actually maps is doing uh, an opportunity for people who, who wish to go on video and talk about their positive experiences of LSD and we're using this this platform called Tribute 
And we really want to encourage people. What we say is like, come out of the psychedelic closet. And that's really also a way to influence society and talk about these positive experiences. And we really want to have a cross gamut of society. And it's like what you were saying earlier about like people in Silicon Valley and, you know, all different kinds of people coming, coming out and talking about their positive experiences. So that's also going to be happening in April. Oh, wow. Do you think I'll be able to get a link to that within the next couple of weeks or something? Yeah, I think that's supposed to come out today, actually. And I'd love to also, you know, put yourself on video and talk about your experiences. That's going to be so awesome. Yeah, that's going to be great. I'm so, I'm so excited about all the things. <laughs> yeah, it's really exciting. We did the research using um, LSD for people who had terminal illnesses, and that was done in Switzerland, which we completed the studies. But, you know, our focus really has been in the MDMA. As MAPS, though, we really want to do that. Once we finish MDMA, then we want to focus on the next thing. And so we see this as, like, all of all the support, like, that one thing will help the next thing get legalized and researched and and, and integrated back into the culture. What's your perspective on as that becomes legalized in the United States, do you think that will have a domino effect on other countries' drug policies? Yes. So we really think that like people look to the U.S. for influencing policy and that we're going to be focusing next on um, making MDMA legal in Europe. So working with EMA. And so that's our next fundraising focus. And I'm really excited about that. We just opened an arm in the Netherlands. And so we're really trying to look for supporters who can help us make that dream come true, too. We really see this as like the renaissance and psychedelic movement. Um, you know, I'm working on projects with people in, like all across the country, um, some people in Pittsburgh. You know, it's like I hear about, you know, psychedelic communities. Um, Natalie Ginsberg, who's our advocacy and policy director, she works with psychedelic societies and they're international. And so it's really exciting to see that we are in this time of renaissance and there's so much happening in this in this work. So I encourage everyone who's listening to get involved in your, your regions and, you know, get involved in the work that MAPS is doing in the Zendo project and the work that you're doing, Magenta, so Bloom Network. So it's very exciting. I feel like it's, it's really an exciting time. Yeah, there's a related thing I've just recently become aware that people do is like some of the plant people will also have, you know, like every other week or once a month, um, you know, they'll gather in people's backyards and share the plants because in some cases it's legal to grow the plants as long as they're not processed. Um, and so they, you know, share, share knowledge about the different psychedelic plants. And I'm just blown away by how, how many new things I learn about in, in this space in general. It's just, it's such Mm -hmm. an infinite, like any direction you look, there's just like infinite wormholes you can go down to learn really interesting things about the body, about society, about nature. It's yeah. So grateful for these chemical and plant. I don't even know what you call them. They almost seem like bridges to, to other states to. And the way they cope with addictions. I think that's really fascinating. Different psychedelics be used in a therapeutic context to help people who are going through challenging, you know, addictive experiences as well. So we've, we've seen that to be very powerful as well. Can you describe a little bit more about that? Um, similar to how we talked about how MDMA supports moving through PTSD um, do you know some of the kind of mechanisms of action by which psychedelics help people, um, you know, come out of addictive relationships with things? 
Well, we've been very interested in, in researching Ibogaine. We've done some observational studies on it so far. It's a compound that's, that's originally from West Africa. It's known to help reduce opiate withdrawal and overcome and reduce other addictions. You know, we've seen, you know, ayahuasca also to be very powerful in therapy to support people challenged with substance abuse and dependence. There's so much to research, but we are particularly interested in Ibogaine because we've just seen such incredible results. So that's something that we're, we're, we talk about pioneering next after MDMA. Mm-hmm. And does it, I've read a tiny bit about Ibogaine and Niboga and people's addiction recovery experiences with them, but I'm curious if it's a combination of really rebalancing your neurochemistry and or the kind of trip aspects of the experience where the the plant in the cases of iboga I've read and I'm not sure if it's a similar kind of conversation that people experience with ibogaine kind of being people seeing their their mental habits and their like understanding why they're going to the substance and being able to see the full picture of the you know, the impact that their use is having on their life and their family and that kind of thing. And, you know, the history of where it's coming from. Is it kind of a combination of like the psychological integration of that and the neurochemistry aspect? There has been some preliminary research and I'm happy to share that with you. I know that I've heard Rick Doblin talk about his experience with Ibogaine and he referenced it as like being able to work through his perfectionism and his self-hatred, which were like core issues. And so as I've heard it, you know, it's like a very deep psychological transformation that people go through who are using it, who don't have like the specific addiction challenges. But the research that I've seen, um, you know, it's just had incredible results um, in people being able to to move through withdrawal and addiction in a way that other things haven't. So I don't know the science of it yet. Mm-hmm. And it's is it pronounced Ibogaine? Yes, that's what that's what we're looking at. Cool. Thanks. I don't know why. I guess I've mostly read it. I haven't talked to people about it before. I'm actually terrified of that, that plant. I hope it never finds me. <laughs> I'm very drawn to try it one day. Wow. There's legal clinics and there's one that just used to be in Mexico, Crossroads, and now it's in um, the Bahamas. Um, so there's a lot of research that was going on in Mexico and in Canada where it is legal. Um, I mean, of course, there you know could try to find some underground locations as well. But um, yeah, so I'm excited about us focusing on that as an organization. What's the um, kind of more mainstream, is there any mainstream acknowledgement because, because the opioid epidemic is such an intense, like devastating thing for so many communities at this point, is the conversation about this research getting into the more mainstream conversation yet? Or is it still just too early and or underground and that kind of thing? Well, there was um, a proposal for this to become a legalized treatment in Vermont, and it got pretty close to being accepted. It didn't, uh, the proposal didn't go through, but it, it brought in a lot of attention in Vermont. So there's, there's definitely been more awareness of this. Um, you know, I know somebody who's a filmmaker who's planning on creating a piece about this. You know, I think there could be definitely a lot more education out there than there is. 
there's a wonderful conferences. Um, you know, we do psychedelic science, then there's the horizons conference in New York. And then I've heard of, you know, another one that's going to be opening in UCLA. There's a researcher in San Diego, Dr. Tom Brown, who's been doing a lot of ibogaine research. Isn't there a yearly conference in Mexico about ibogaine as well, or possibly lots of medicines? Yeah, and there used to be the network, the Gita network for this kind of work. You're right. What's your perspective on something, you know, we talked about festivals at the beginning, and we've been talking about MAPS's work and the, the different kind of work going on with research around the world. And I'm curious your perspective on the set and setting of a festival, because people a little bit younger than me in their 20s, I think it's, you know, it's really common for that to be people's first psychedelic experience is at a festival with a substance they may not know very much about um, or had much preparation about what the effects will be and that kind of thing. And it's, you know, I don't want to lead you toward your answer. I mean, from my perspective, it's, it's a, like a really intense, very stimulating environment for, for that to be one's context of um, journeying. But I'm, yeah, I'm curious your perspective on, yeah, the set and setting of electronic music festivals where a lot of young people are experiencing these things. I personally think it's, it's a challenge. You know, the way that MAPS does its, its psychedelic research is, you know, somebody will come into our, our clinic at 10 in the morning, then they'll be like lying down with light, eye shades on, listening to music, and it's a really controlled environment to go into those experiences. And so I think it's it's definitely intense and a challenge for people who have these experiences in festivals where there's so much going on and it's not, you know, there's not a contained environment for your experience. So I think it's a challenge. I mean, I understand like on a, on a broader scale, it's a perfect opportunity to explore and to have these experiences. But I think that's why the Zendo project is so powerful because it does provide people a place to go where they can go internal and get the support of somebody who's going to be sitting with them and helping them go through that. So it's like, the, it's really similar to the kind of therapy that we do in our trials. Yeah. It's interesting to me. I think often at festivals, it's a, it's a party. So everyone's having a good time. And so when someone starts not having a good time, depending on how tight your friend group is that you're there with and how supportive those people are, I think it can be hard to acknowledge that you're starting to go through a hard time and to let yourself fully go into that kind of trip in a festival or it's been my experience a little bit anyway. Yeah, definitely. I can relate to that. Yeah. But it's also amazing. I mean, I'm trying to think if those weren't going on, how the landscape would be different of how common it was for people to know about these things and how comfortable people felt letting themselves be free like that. Cause in some ways that, feels like a safer environment than like walking down your city blocks or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like the environment is one that supports exploration. It's just, you know, it's, it's very unknown and, you know, so much going on, but yes, it's, it's a, it's a potential platform for being able to support your experience and be in a, a supportive environment, like on the broader scale to support these kinds of explorations and healing opportunities. You had mentioned, um, when we talked earlier about was was ayahuasca your first psychedelic experience you mentioned going through something where you um to work through the trauma of the experience went to ayahuasca and i'm curious because that's such a different context than 
the MDMA clinical settings, for example. I'm curious what your experience there was like, if it's something you feel comfortable sharing about. Yeah, so um, it's interesting because I, I, I dealt with this attack. It was October 11th, and then I was taking pharmaceutical medication, and I had like a particular break where, you know, I kind of lost touch of reality, and I, and I was given more medication, and then I'm a Naropa student. I was a graduate of Naropa, and so I was introduced to a Santa Deme community that uses ayahuasca, and it, there's a facilitator. And so I spent time in that community, and I was able to transition off of the medication I was taking, and I did like a month of like focused work um, in this community. And I think what was so powerful, too, was it was the ayahuasca as well as the support and being able to have a guide to support me through that. And for me, the trauma when I was 30, it opened up like an earlier trauma and, and clarity about like my own boundaries. And so the ayahuasca helped me heal that current trauma as well as go into a deeper trauma. Wow. I felt like it was really healing. Like to me, it felt like, like kind of like, it, it felt like almost like a physical experience of like regaining my boundaries and my skin again and like the psyche and the spiritual, but it was like, I felt like the ayahuasca plant, like it just like helped me heal that experience in a way much deeper than just taking medication would. So you you found that it helped you reestablish a healthy sense of boundaries? Yeah, and I think it gave it regained like a will to live, uh, you know, kept getting me back to a place where I wasn't, you know, just in like a fight or flight mode and, you know, where I felt open to the world again. Like it just took me a while, like um particular trauma happened here in New York city where I live. And, you know, I'm like a native New Yorker. And it just, I got into a point where I like, it was hard for me to even like walk down the street. Like I really had to reestablish a sense of like safety again. And, and I felt that like the work with ayahuasca was like, it, it brought me into just like, I could process the experience. I felt like I could release the experience out of my body, you know, and also because it was like a sexual violation, I felt like I could, move the energy out of my system to the point where I got in touch with like the, my soul that wasn't injured by that experience. And then that being helping to expand that sense, like, okay, my soul and my broader self. And so it was like, you know, processing the experience and understand that it's part of my history, but there was a way to, to, to go beyond that. That's really what I, I got from that experience. Wow. Thanks for sharing about that. Yeah. So that's also why I feel that's what brought me to the work of MAPS. You know, MAPS is really the organization's pioneering this kind of research and creating a platform for people to be able to find these kinds of resources. So that's what's so powerful. And there are so many different modalities out there and that are not just the traditional route for people. That's really why I believe in this work so, so profoundly. Thank you for helping with maps and with the bigger picture of all the things that we've been talking about today being accessible for people to to help us heal and come into right relation with each other again. Thank you for the work you do too. My pleasure. You're welcome. <laughs> and thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your experience and wisdom and perspectives. Really, really, really appreciate having you on. I'm excited to see where we go, like where, where our culture goes years from now and incredible work that's happening right now. And thank you for the work that you're doing as well. You're welcome. 
Yeah, I've been stoked to learn more about maps in this interview. I kind of I tend to think of them as, you know, they're working on legalizing MDMA and there's obviously so much I have yet to uh, explore about what you all are up to. It's such a, everyone I've met from that organization is just a stellar human being. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Go team. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, we're just scratching the surface. I mean, you know, the work we've, we've done work with, People on the autistic spectrum with social anxiety, people with life-threatening illnesses, um, you know, and there's so many more things that we want to research. People have eating disorders. We're also doing a project at University of Connecticut looking at racial trauma and its impact on PTSD. So it's like really looking at the sociological lens as well in terms of society and the impact on, on people of color and race and it's like, you know, social justice. So there's so many more things that we want to research. So that's why everyone should support maps and continue this work that we're doing. And I'll include a link to that in the show notes so you can easily find it. Is there any last things that you wanted to share on the podcast itself? Well, I just wanted to say that we do an annual Zendo project fundraising campaign. It happens in the summertime in preparation for Burning Man. And I invite everyone to get involved and contribute to our efforts. And just thank you so much for your support. Thank you for listening to this first episode of the Psychedelic Cultures podcast. If you'd like to support this show directly, you can do so on Patreon at Magenta Siba. If you have a recommendation or a request for who I interview on this show, or a topic that you'd like to see us go into over time, please get in touch, and I hope you have beautiful journeys. <laughs>